Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 1, Episode 5, titled, You Can't Go Home Again. Time's up. She's out of O2. The clock is a guess. We don't know for a fact. Starbuck is out of air. Her tank only holds so much oxygen. She could have a reserve supply and her survival gear. Reserve? Yes. What? She just happened to pack an extra bottle today? It's possible. We are putting people at risk. We have pilots out we there are not that are quitting. pushing themselves and their ships too hard, all for the sake of... We are not quitting. And you are relieved, Colonel. Well, we are back once again, and uh, we are kicking off our to-be-continued closer with You Can't Go Home Again, Matthew. How are you doing this evening? I am good. Uh, feeling pretty are... good about my trivia questions again this time around. On the oh, whole. right. Good to know. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But if this is your first time joining us, uh, we are going to be talking about Battlestar Galacta. As you hear in the intro, Matt's never seen these episodes prior. I have. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to talk about these episodes this way. I like it. I think it's a nice dynamic with the conversation. We're going to get to some opening thoughts. Then we'll get to last week's trivia answers. And then we'll explicate our way through this. We'll uh, ask some new questions. And then uh, we'll do our final thoughts. Or I don't remember. Do we do final thoughts and then questions? I don't know. But that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Not sure. I don't we'll remember. Decide when we get there. Yeah, that's it. And uh, I'm excited to talk about You Can't Go Home Again, man. This is, a, uh, this is quite an episode. So what I want to do first is I want to dive right in. I want your initial impressions, but here's where I want you to start with your initial impressions. Ooh, sure. I want to guide you a little, if, if I may. If I may. <laughs> I, I allow it. Would you please tell me how did you feel about how Starbuck gets off-world in this episode? Go. Okay. I liked it. I'm on board with it. It stretches credulity a little bit. But, and, I, and I'll, I'll admit it, I, this is like the total like watery-eyed uh, nerd fanboy in me uh, that when it's, when it's revealed to uh, Lee and everybody that she is alive and they finally understand it, I was just so happy and so like, <laughs> yes, like cheering and it was great. It's a great moment. That it wiped away some of the the prior insanity of how this has all come about, but uh, no, I enjoyed it. It did, um, even though we had this really cool storyline of her stranded on this moon, and you know that her individual part of trying to get the ship up and going and get off the planet, I still wanted more Starbuck. You know, she's a relatively small part of the episode, and it's her alone. Um, I, I still would have. Um, not preferred, but I would have just liked more Starbuck, even a more heavily Starbuck-focused episode. Um, I'm still jonesing for that a little bit. It didn't quite give me the fix I was hoping to get in that department. But um, but yeah, no, as far as her getting off the planet, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to get into that. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, this was written by Carla Robinson. And as we mentioned, it was uh, last week when we were talking about uh, – when we were talking about uh, active contrition, we were saying that the follow-up episode has a different writer, despite the beat to be continued. 
overall, did you like this episode? Did you like the beginning of this cliffhanger? Or did you like yes. this episode better? Did In other words, did you like Act of Contrition more or You Can't Go Home Again more? You Can't Go Home Again more, for sure. No okay. hesitation there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, much, much better beginning <laughs> opening sequence. Sounds good. So uh, do you want to give me some opening impressions or do you think you want to you wanna move from there? You know, I'm, I'm kind of ready to just dive into this one. I'm in. Let me say this. Oddly enough, and as oftentimes happens with you and I, uh, I, I search for parody sometimes, but I don't like to invent parody. Uh, so I felt the same exact way you did. I was like, boy, that's a little funky. But the ending is so effective at soliciting emotion in me that it washes away whatever I had to suspend my disbelief for. And, yeah. uh, and you know, this is something that this show does time and again, is, is it elicits emotion without necessarily taking a character from you. And this is something that we've talked about before because, of course, we have our Walking Dead show. And The Walking Dead too routinely relies on the death of a major character to really create tension and emotion. And this is one of those things, well, we know Starbucks off-world. We know when they get the Drayda's contact at the end for the solo raider that it's her. And, uh, but we still feel this elation And uh, a lot of that, I think, has to do with the way these episodes are set up. The overall theme of Battlestar Galactica, and on top of the theme of it, which, of course, is this dark struggle against all odds, it is also this thing about duty and this thing about honor and and what that all means and how it can solicit emotions in us, even though we know Starbuck is safe. Lee's reaction is so great that it conjures a strong emotion, and that's great. That's when I think you have good storytelling. That's when I think your characters are well-written, well-rounded, and they're really coming into their own here, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, that's, and it's an interesting point about, um, you know, suspending disbelief, you know, it is not inherently wrong for any narrative, you know, piece of media or story, you know, film, book, movie, all of it to ask us to suspend our belief sometimes. Like sometimes, you know, that's part of what makes it a fictional story, not a nonfiction one. But like you, you know, like you said there, it it when it ends and has such a good purpose and has a good delivery of something, it washes away that the stretching part of suspending your disbelief to where it doesn't matter. Like, and that's what this that's what this episode did really well. The payoff, you know, it's asking. It's almost like you you can imagine the writer going, "I know, I know, this is a little wacky, but just stay with me, just stay with me for this." Sure. And the payoff is fantastic, and it's worth being asked that if you know if it was. You know, if it didn't really come to any point and there was no real emotional delivery, then it would be like, well, why did you ask? Why do we have to watch all this zaniness and there was nothing to even come from it? Right. So I, I think they they ask us to suspend our uh, disbelief, and that's okay <laughs> in this you know instance. Yeah, and I think it's always important. And I know we've mentioned this before uh, on the science fiction film podcasts, uh, anyway, and that's that when you're suspending disbelief, when you're asking your audience to suspend their disbelief. One of the things you're attempting to do is, is you're attempting to get them to believe the rules set forth in the world that you've created, the paradigm, if you will, to maintain continuity, right? Yeah. If you're watching Star Trek Next Generation and Jean-Luc Picard waves his hand and uses some kind of Jedi mind trick and kills someone, you could say, well, Star Trek's unrealistic. Like that's a, that's a very like, odd way to think of it. Yes, yeah. Star Trek, a lot of it is unrealistic and it doesn't make sense. 
but they've established rules around Picard. And you could almost argue that one of the things they've established, and if they haven't, now they have, is is that Starbuck can fly anything, and she's an amazing, (laughs) almost mythical pilot. There you go. That's right. and you know oh, I can't wait to get to it. But the feeling I had after you know the you know the celebratory scenes, everybody standing up and being so happy about it, I was like, she's going to be a fucking legend to them now. Like she sure. is, she's genuinely going to be raised to the level of mythic, right? And it and it makes sense in the continuity of it all. You know, you could make some arguments about maybe the hull being compromised, and really she's she's clearing Atmo with a with a suit overhaul. I don't know about that. But uh, it's not like, you know, if you watch, and I've used this example before, but if you watch Superman and you watch him pick up a building, it rarely makes any sense because the building would break around where his hands are, just physics-wise. Exactly, yeah. Right. Superman in and of itself is an unrealistic thing, but it is created in this paradigm where we assume everything else follows the normal rules, like the structure of a building. And that's what I mean. That's... That's one of those things where you could say, well, that's unrealistic. And then somebody could come back and say, well, Superman's unrealistic. Yes, but the world in which he inhabits apparently is ours, yeah. apparently is ours and apparently plays by the rules set forth. So, yeah, that's, what, uh, that's one of the things that – and you can almost apply that argument to the whole being compromised. This is being watched by science fiction fans. Science fiction fans can sometimes be sticklers for the, for the technical details <laughs> of this. Uh, I, I might, it might have been easier for me to swallow. It might have been just less egregious. And uh, egregious is even strong if it, wasn't, yeah. if it didn't have a compromised hull. And I mean, we'll, we'll get to all that. There's a part of me, you know, like I was saying, this, this show is new for me. I'm treating it like a new show. I do not read spoilers. I don't go ahead of the, our current episode at all. But I also am so glad that this show has already run its course and existed before Twitter <laughs> and before yes. the era of the utter of nitpicks decapitating the rest of the world and running everything. Sure. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. That's a great uh. point. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, it's funny you say that ironically, I think the show would have really benefited from being released about five or six years later. Cause I think it would have gotten more attention, That's probably true. more money with social media, but with the, with the good comes the bad. <laughs> It does feel ahead of its time. And that's, I mean, I guess we can save this more for, you know, the larger discussion about the show at some point, but it does. This is a show where I'm I'm having this feeling of like, this is enrapturing the same way that Game of Thrones and like modern, you know, dramas are. And then when I I think back to like 2000, 2004, when this was actually airing, I'm like, there was fucking nothing good on. No. And there's a writer strike right around there too. And one of the things uh, we talked about, I believe last week is, is we talked about, in Game of Thrones, how it, it's pushed the envelope to a point where it, it's it's going to change what people want in their television. And uh, this was uh, almost like a precursor to that. You know, we talked a lot about Rome being the precursor to uh, to um, Game of Thrones, the, the HBO series Rome, of course, yeah. which John Milius had a hand in. But, you know, it's funny to think about this really saying let's get science fiction and make it dark let's make it realistic with real people with real problems that the audience can relate to and uh you know that's that's a piece of drama i'm interested in oh yeah speaking of a piece of drama i'm interested in why don't we uh, hop to it my friend absolutely ready to go now before we get going i believe we have some trivia questions to address mhm i'm feeling i'm feeling okay about this <laughs> I'm you trying did, to remember you, the aspects you, I screwed up. You did pretty well. Okay. So here are the questions 
that uh, were that were answered this week in the episode. And if you're new to this podcast, each week I ask Matt a set of trivia questions that tease the next episode, and then I answer them on the following episode. So we are answering questions put forth on uh, active contrition that teased you can't go home again. So here are the questions, and here are the answers. Are you ready? So ready. One, Gaius pressures Rosalind to consider abandoning the search for fear of the Cylons returning during the search efforts. True or false? (laughs) And what did I answer, Dean? I believe you answered false. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) You got a a couple, right? You You got a couple wrong. There you go. Next, Kara finds a downed raider on the surface of the planet, and the pilot has a familiar face. See, and I said true to this, didn't I? You did. You said See, true, and I really want it to be true. Were your words, if I'm not mistaken? <laughs> yes. And we see now the familiar face part is that's not really a part of it in the actual episode, right? Right. In other <laughs> words, I was baiting you to think maybe there was going to be a, a human pilot in there that was a, a Cylon revealed. Cylon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for the record, on the first question, you said false, but it was true. Yes. I said that yeah. back. I think I said that backwards, but I'm not sure. I can't rewind live here. <laughs> um, it, so, no. That was, uh, that was false. You answered true. Next, Adama relieves tie of command when the colonel challenges his decision to maintain the search for Starbuck. I said true to that one. You said true, and it was true, and what a scene. Oh, so good. Next, Rosalind travels to the Galactica and convinces Adama to terminate the search and rescue operation. You also guessed right on this one, which was true. Bam. So two two good ones in a row. And then finally, Caprica Boomer and Hilo are captured by Centurions. See, now that one's also tricky. That's another tricky dicky right. dick Nixon you got on me there. Or the, I, you know, I guess Boomer's captured. You said true. You said true. Uh, I have the answer as false because Hilo isn't actually captured. Yeah, exactly. He's left behind, right? He is, yeah. So it was kind of tricky dick. Yeah, it was a little tricky dick. I try to make the last one kind of a tricky dicker for you. But but that's okay. You did did all right. I'm a C student over here. Yeah, you're you're doing all right. Uh, I have a a much different format this week, but we'll get to that at the end of the episode. I'm looking forward to uh, those questions. So let's talk about the episode, You Can't Go Home Again. Mm -hmm. All right. So it starts off with a search and rescue op for Starbuck and company. They manage to pick up Hot Dog. No Delicious. sign of Starbuck. Hot Dog mentions that uh, she got hit. And on the chatter, we hear that a search and rescue has started for Starbuck. This moves right into the flight deck. Let me just describe these and then we'll talk. Sure. Uh, on the flight deck, we have Hot Dog is debriefed by Commander Adama. They conclude that Starbuck has likely survived the hit. And Kadama, Commander Adama insists she is alive. Hot Dog gets his wings from the CAG. I think you earned those today. Lee goes right to his Viper and gets a send-off from Dad who instructs him to find her. So let's talk about this chunk of action. There we are. Mm. So we start right off with the search still on, and we start to see what the search means to Adama. It begins here. The building of this begins here, and it begins for Lee as well. And we do see some reaction shots from the crew almost immediately. And that's something that I like about this episode and what I noticed right away and what I started to remember, which was this. Adama insists she's alive. Go find our girl. He's jumping. He's, he's, he's interrupting people. 
he's saying we we're gonna do this, and the crew is like, okay, they start to look at him. All right, if you say so. Yeah, you don't see this often from the crew as it relates to how they are looking at Commander Adama. So yeah, uh, yeah. what did you think about this open first? What do you think about Hot Dog getting his wings just like that? <laughs> I feel like he's pretty ambivalent about it, really, because I think you know basically that's something we need to talk about from the last episode as well. Is that it was him engaging the Cylons first, correct? I believe like he, he went engaged, in first, he started firing. He engaged with her. She turned and engaged, and she started to fight with them. Starbuck, when I say her. Mm-hmm. She sends them back, and on their way back, Hot Dog says to... Starbuck. No, no. What's the name of the woman they're with? Fuck, I forget her name. That's embarrassing. Oh, um, I know who you're talking about. The other new pilot, female pilot. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Whatever her name is. <laughs> yep. Kate or something. He, he turned... Cat. Cat, there it is. Kit he Kat. turns and goes back after her, and, and then of course Cat goes to follow. Right? If I'm not mistaken, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Or or Cat right. doesn't follow. He turns and he goes back out after her, because because Starbucks already engaged when the fighting starts. Mm-hmm. So he gets picked up by the by the Raptor, of course, so a little a little rescue op because he got banged out. They pulled him on board, and uh, he gets his wings. There you go. Yeah, and I, yeah, the the shot that lingers on his face when he gets the wings, he doesn't seem you know. He's not happy about the situation at all. Right. Uh, and I feel like, you know, that the points impressed by, you know, Starbuck on him and or the rest of the new trainees, like, you know, you don't leave anyone, you know, and I think that's what he was trying to do. He was going back out there and trying to, be, in his mind, be a good Viper pilot. So I like that, you know, hey, this is possibly a, a character who's going to grow. And, and it, it seemed like the way it lingered on him gave hint to this will be a character and these consequences will kind of continue forward, which is the other really solid part about the show and it's writing. But, um, but I like, yeah, kind of like what you were saying about the crew's reactions to Adama. I love how this just has unspokenly become absolute priority. Like there, there's nobody, he doesn't even say, all right, this is our mission. Now he just starts acting as if this has already been the mission. What are you all doing standing around? Like, he's just, of course, this is our priority now. And everybody, you know, they jump to it and they're, they're on board with him. But yeah, they do have that slight, slightly different reaction, that tone of it all. You know, it's pretty much another one of those things where, you know, it's like uh, the chief banging boomer where everybody's like, okay, we don't know about this, but we all know about this. Sure. And I think everybody understands, you know, the the level of, you know, personal interaction and care between the Commander Adama, Lee Adama, and Starbuck. Right. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, so where we go from here is is that we move to the planet. So what we could do is we could just cover Starbucks yeah, planetary stuff before she gets off world and then we'll tie the off world into the final scene where she radios to them the final scenes. Yeah. Where she radios, Hey, I'm here. So you want to do it that way? That sounds good to me. It's a very short story as far as her story. It is time a on the very planet. short story. And it's <laughs> interspersed throughout this. So, so obviously Starbuck comes to with her parachute pulling her along the ground. It's a great sequence. Great sequence. The, the planet's windy. It's a very rough ride. She frantically cuts at the rigging on the chute, and then she bashes her knee on a rock. Ouch. Oof, yeah. And then finally managed to cut herself free. The knee's injured bad enough to impair her movement. And uh, I wrote her face is all screwed up with pain, because that's funny. And then, of course... Um, she manages to wrap up her knee, notices her O2 is low, and uh, that the moon has no breathable atmo, which she uses yeah. this little detector. It shows red, no dice, damn it. And then she says, I got to get the higher ground. So she's thinking clearly, I got to get the higher ground because the search and rescue team will see me, have a better chance of actually spotting me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it's a great, it's a great piece of tension. I like this, the way we cut in from, you know, the last thing we see in the last episode is her and her, you know, suit spiraling into the atmosphere of this planet. And it's not the first thing we see in in this episode now. Right. Is her, you know, we, it's a couple minutes in and we're seeing everybody else's reaction. So we finally have the mystery revealed of, okay, she did make it all the way down to the bottom there, was able to parachute, but seeing her getting tugged along at first, you know, that's a great little bit of, oh God, are there actually silence or is the silence she shot, shot down still alive? Who knows? Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful sequence. It's awesome. It continues when she limps around and manages to find the down Cylon Raider. So she she draws her pistol, her sidearm, and she approaches, and then she spots some sort of reddish oil splashed <laughs> across the front of the ship. Yeah, this was this threw me a little bit. I was like, "Are we supposed to interpret this as a you know they they have organic material because it looks like blood? I mean, it very much looks like blood pouring down the thing." And she sees it and is you know complimenting herself, like, "Ah, oh, hell of a good shot! I got it right in the face." Yeah, I think for sure it's supposed to be that. I think it's supposed to be a at least an organic fluid. Blood might be a stretch in this case, but it's definitely a, a fluid that is organic that is supposed to look blood like. Yeah, oh for sure. So she manages to cut the radar open. She starts really slicing up the biological material. And her reaction is like, holy shit, is this thing alive? What's going on here? Uh, Oh, my gods. She she manages to get into the vessel, plays around with the controls. And that's when she says, wow, they're totally unmanned. They're biological in nature. And that's when she says, even cockroaches have breath. How even cockroaches breathe. How the frack do you? Obviously, one of the things playing out against this whole sequence of events with Starbuck is the fact that her O2 is reading low. She's getting really low. And uh, once she climbs in, she starts thinking, okay, what's it going to be? And then there's a lot of time that passes before we come back to her, and she's actually starting to pass out. So her O2 is thin enough to where she's starting to get oxygen deprivation, and, and essentially she's starting to suffocate slowly. Yeah. And I mean, I think even when she starts out the first time early in the episode, she glances at her, um, you know, oxygen meter. It's like three quarters full. It's not even a full tank she started with. Right. Um, at least by the time that she notices it. Yep. And so, yeah, by this point, by the point of her being inside there, too. And I, again, I love the little touch of when she first opens up the little hatch and realizes that, it, you know, this is flesh and blood and there's, you know, biological yes. matter here. She says the same thing Six did. Are you alive? That's the same ah, thing she says to it. Good catch. Nice, nice little symmetries all through this show. But, um, but yeah, that was a shock, and I think it's a, it's as much of a shock to the viewer as it is to her. Of there's these, they have a living ship. I mean, we thought that that's what the Cylons abhorred was, you know, spongy, shitty flesh and and the follies of man. Mm. Machine is good, flesh bad. But this thing is part it's cybernetic. But it almost makes sense that the Cylons cannot avoid the trappings of their makeup. That's true. Right? Because they are made of biological stuff. To, to be able to infiltrate humanity, you have to make yourself such a good copy that it can almost play against you at times, as we see with the way certain people behave. Like Galactica Boomer, she's behaving in a way that shows that she's not thinking at, with a Cylon agenda, at least obviously. It's well, you not see, a, and- and with that, you know, I had thought that you know the the human shaped Cylon operatives were very much you know 
I don't know what you want to call them, cyborgs, a blend of, of silent technology and organic material in some way. But I thought that, you know, in my mind, you know, th- this is one of my favorite parts of watching the show is trying to figure out through the very small pieces we're given how the Cylons operate. What is their world or their mythology? What are their rules? You know, their way of thinking. And I thought there must have been some kind of very clear divide between the new human-looking Cylon agents and the old-fashioned Centurions and the Raider ships, like that is their, you know, as you know, all the colonials joke about, like that's our, that's their old toaster models. That's just yes. the the dumb robot models, and these are the newer ones. And I thought that was a very clear line of maybe only recently they were philosophically okay with adopting biological material into part of their designs or weapons or whatever. But it seems like it's a little more like you like what you're saying, like ingrained in that. It's more entrenched. Uh, they they almost can't extricate themselves from it. I think I think the human model is new because it was never seen by the colonials before in the prior yeah. war, mm-hmm. uh, and this is an evolutionary step, you could say. A fuck up, a fucking weird way to say it, but an evolutionary step almost as to the direction that they are traveling and. A couple of things what you're mentioning here are important to talk about. One, if they are Cylons, you would think that if you sliced one in half, it would be obvious. Yeah, yeah, right. But then you think, but Gaius Baltar has been unable to make a Cylon detector. How hard can it be to detect metal under flesh in a future setting? Now, it is a gritty future setting. They use projectile arms. They are not using ray guns. They do not have fancy sensors that detect people like in aliens even. You know, they don't have yeah. a motion tracker. They don't have, is it, so should we believe that there might be still be metal in odd material beneath the flesh of these things that guys just can't ferret out? Or are we to believe if we cut them open? Matthew, do you think if you cut a Cylon in half that you'd be able to tell the difference between a Cylon and a human? Damn, that's a good question. The thing I come back to when I imagine that is in, I think it's still the first episode of the miniseries, first or second episode of the miniseries. Um, we have that shot of Six climbing on top of Gaius after she's taken like her top off and everything, and she's uh, you know on top of him, and we see her back and her spine kind of lights up in this weird right, way. Like right. you see her like bones underneath her skin it's like as if they're like glowing for a moment and i'm like is that just kind of a part of gaius's vision and that's not totally real or or whatever so i mean i to me i think there must be some kind of components where yeah i think if you did an autopsy on a a a dead human-shaped cylon there must be some way to tell there must be something else in there gotcha so she decides to cut up some tubing she being starbuck and look for o2 She's still saying to herself, you're part biological, right? Uh, Good assumptions to make. If you're part biological, that you must rely on some sort of oxygen. If you're biological, as far as the colonials know, as far as their science tells them. Yeah. Especially if she knows that some can look human. And then she manages to find a tube that hisses O2. When she cuts it, of course, she plays it across her little O2 detector. It lights up. Great news. And then she manages to uh, start plugging the hull breach and playing around with the vessel, saying to herself out loud, you're going to teach me how to fly. And that's when she gets in the pitch, yaw, roll, all the different control mechanisms and how things are going to work out. And then she says, take me home. So that is sort of how the Starbuck situation ends before she meets back up with the colonial fleet. Is there anything else you want to say about what's going on with Starbuck here? 
Not really. I mean, I like I like seeing how resourceful she is. That was one of my, you know, that's why I, as much as it is a stretch to think you can uh, bundle up one of your sleeves and plug it into the hole, <laughs> the hole right. of your hull to go into space. Like, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch of belief. Right. However, I just what I enjoy about the scene more than any of it is not trying to, you know, shoot holes in the the ideas but just watching and realizing how resourceful starbuck is like she has that one moment even before right before she finds the cylon raider where she's saying lords it's me you know lieutenant thrace and she's like i could really use a break and 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 then i I like that she actually replies like no well all right just throw it out there i just thought i would ask and like it's so she is not complaining and she is not falling you know to hopelessness she's still just marching forward she's she's being wry and kind of cynical about it but i love that attitude of hers of just like oh i'm gonna ask just yeah uh, i gotta exhaust all my options might as well pray too to see, <laughs> see if that helps but never uh, say die right never say yeah, die. she's so relentlessly pushing forward to survive and that's, that's just part of you know that to me it was enjoyable to watch right and you're definitely right about that you could almost argue that in act of contrition, she was more fearful of how Adama felt about her and thought about her than she was than being stranded on this moon, you know? Yeah, it's, yes. It's crazy to think about, but that was something that seemed to affect her more and worried her more than, than this crash landing. <laughs> than possibly, yeah, asphyxiating on a planet somewhere. Right. And, right. I, and I think that speaks, again, more to to her character of that is still the the, the waters of personal interaction and respect towards you know the people she actually cares about that's difficult for her to navigate like she's not comfortable in it it's it's genuinely hard for her and whereas this is life and death and scary and it's a matter of you know you know you could die out here any minute it's still something she's familiar with she's good at surviving yeah i like it and then you mentioned the prayer piece we've seen her pray before haven't we you know i i feel like we had and i was trying to remember where that was what 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 scene was that when lee was thought lost oh that's right yep yeah so we've seen her pray to the quote-unquote gods before to the plural oh my gods Mm. well let's get back to uh the beginning here so after the opening credits gata says still no joy from the search team sir nothing found yet adama wants more pilots up and gata tells him that they are all up and then this briefing continues into the CIC. But it starts off right away with Gaeta feeling nervous about Adama's reactions and being concerned with Adama's choices. And that's Gaeta. Yeah. Once yeah. they move to the CIC, they discuss the gas giant and how she'd be fried if pulled in from the radiation. They guess that the moon could support her 46 hours, although cold, she'd survive. Ty warns that staying in the same spot for 46 hours is dangerous with the silence always lurking. What if they reappear? So this this sets the stage for some tension around the search and rescue op for Starbuck. Absolutely. And and a really big, you know, and I'd say the underlying theme of this entire episode is weighing, you know, costs and values of, of people. And, and not and not people specifically, but of just any any decision whatsoever in their world now is basically weighing lives and weighing resources and how much time can we really dedicate to it regardless of how much it may matter to you personally you know there's such a there's a math in everything they do now whereas you know you get the sense that and we've talked about this before you know like in a show like Star Trek 
there isn't really much of a math in their decisions as far as like resources or time. You know, every now and then an episode presents a, a very certain particular crisis that maybe they do have to think of those things. But there's not a single move they can make in the, the Battlestar fleet uh, without going, well, how many more of our people are we putting at risk here? Who's, who, oh, we're, put, we're making 4,000 people vulnerable by doing this, or we're going to make 100 people die if we don't you know, move enough resources here. It's just a constant shifting you know, game of math. And this one I liked a lot because it's, it's arguably, you know, as much as I love Adama and Lee and Starbuck, it is a crazy uh, thing for them to be saying, we have one person here. We're going to have to put everybody at risk in right. order to stay behind. I, like, I found myself you know, really oscillating between viewpoints you know, actually watching this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hear you there. And you know, back on the Star Trek point, one thing Star Trek does do is, is it does it, – it rarely has to figure out resources. But it does sometimes have to pit the number of lives lost in this endeavor versus this one. You know, should should we retreat? Should we make a stand here against the Romulans, even though we're outnumbered, or should we retreat? What are we going to do? How do we get out of this if we retreat? If we, they're not going to blow up the Enterprise, so they do. They make decisions about lives sometimes, and in, in in duty versus honor, and all of that shit. But it's <laughs> this is a this is a very specific situation. You know, this is a. They have to weigh it out as they would any other normal time. But I'm of the opinion that based on the relationship between Lee, Adama, and Starbuck, that even if we weren't looking at the end of the world, that these men would still make the same decision because of their relationship with her. Even if there was no silent attack, even if there was no 12 colonies got fucking nuked out. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like this is a consistent act that we would see from both of these men because of the person in question. And I that's agree. and this episode is a very revealing it reveals to us quite a bit about Adama and we're going to talk about that as we move on. Definitely. So, as we as we do, we get into Adama saying, you know, a Ty, Ty asks the the questions that a good officer asks. For sure. He I says like, I like Ty. In this he's episode. great in this episode. He says, "Listen, 46 hours, what if the Cylons appear? They won't, not for a while. And then Ty presses him on this as to why, and Adama just tells me thinks it's because there was no base ship, just a patrol. They didn't even know we were here. So Ty's like, okay. And he starts to do some math. Eight of our ships would take weeks to find us. And then Adama tells Ty to assume they're better and faster. It'll take days. Ty says, a lot of assumptions we're making here. I mean, it could take hours, right? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and that it's that's one of my favorite lines I've heard from Adama yet, of where he just says, "Assume they're better and faster than right. us." Right. Uh, you know, of, he's not making that mistake of underestimating the enemy, but uh, then, but again, you uh, he uh, ties a perfect counterpoint of he's saying, "Well, using your own logic, don't underestimate them. It could be even faster than that. We don't know." Indeed, indeed, yeah. Why stop there? I yeah. think is what Ty's saying. If you're going to follow your logical conclusion, continue to follow it all the way through. And stop yeah. being a silly person. <laughs> <laughs> so they discuss searching the moon. The clouds, of course, are going to obscure the surface. So Adam instructs the Vipers to dip below the cloud level and go eyeballs. Of course, they refer to that as Mark 1 eyeball. Mark 1 eyeball, indeed. So they start their search. He tells the Vipers to get going. Meanwhile, the president contacts Adama. And, uh, you know, she's like, we got some ships. We'll definitely help out with the odds. So she calls with an olive branch. Yeah. We're yeah, going to lend she's... some support. <laughs> it's going to, we're going to help out with the odds. 
frack the odds. We're going to find her. <laughs> Boom. Ah, uh, I love that. And, uh, uh, sorry. Like, he, he apologizes. I love Dice's reaction to this. Yeah. And the president's. It's in this moment that she realizes, and this is great work by, by the president, the, the realization on her face when she says, okay, this is going to now be a problem. She can tell <laughs> just by his tone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's, she is so smart. She gets it right away. And then we stay on the colonial one, of course, because now we want to see what's going on. So we, we, we do see the president's reaction. We, we keep the scene. We shift the scene over to the colonial one. And that's when she's hanging out there. And then, of course, Six wanders into the frame. And she wants guys to wonder how long it will take the Cylons to find them. This this was an I, I enjoyed this scene, but I also did find it a little strange. I was trying to figure out I'm like how what fear, what new fear is she really exploiting in Gaius in this moment? I mean, she could almost always say, Well, hey, the Cylons are always pursuing us. Hey, they could always get here. I did find it interesting that this time around she was able to press the idea of the Cylons are going to be coming to look for those ships and we're vulnerable out here. And that was enough to manipulate Gaius into trying to argue, hey, we shouldn't be wasting all this time and resources trying to find an officer. It's too dangerous. We're leaving ourselves too open to yep. the president. I, I don't quite, yeah, I was a little surprised. See, this is something that I think highlights one of the most interesting traits of Gaius Baltar, and that is his amazing capacity to for self-preservation. <laughs> yeah. And I think Gaius is a smart enough man to see the writing on the wall here. I think he's alert enough to say, and he says it, he says, do you honestly think that this is wise? You're compromising security of the entire fleet for one missing pilot. And then, of course, uh, at this point, Rosalind is supporting Adama, and then Gaius backs off, but he does say, you know, there's thousands of defenseless children and women. Now, this is a classic Gaius move. <laughs> Gaius is putting the children and women on a pedestal so he can keep himself safe. The reality is, is he'd probably eject all of them if it saved himself. <laughs> and that's what's so compelling about the character. Yeah. You know, and I he, love, I just want to go ahead and remember and remind everybody listening that you have stated that he is what, maybe your favorite character? <laughs> he's one of my, I think he's one of the most interesting characters for sure. Yeah. He, he's great. He's great TV. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The they show really benefits from this type of character who isn't the president in that retinue and isn't Adama in that retinue and has this rogue element. That's true. Right? I like, I like the yeah. unpredictable rogue elements. And, uh, you know, so the question I would ask you to ponder and not answer now is, is why is, why is, does, okay, how about this? Is 6A concerned that the silence will in fact find them and she does not want guys to die or B, is she concerned that the that this search and op, this search operation is going to reveal important information about the silence that she does not want revealed? So you got to think about what is her motivation. We know that she is fond of Gaius. We know that she has looked out for him in the past, and we know that she quote has a plan, and that of course God has a plan. But you have to ask yourself, what's the motivation for her to show up in this? perfect aqua dress that makes her tan oh. body look amazing oh my god <laughs> maybe her best scene as far as that goes <laughs> sorry just throwing it out there but um you have right. to ask yourself what is her motivation here i don't think it's now i this could be my perception of the series as a whole versus yours which is five episodes but my <laughs> my perception on a whole i find it easy to manipulate guys if you can convince him that self-preservation that his 
life is on the line. Yeah. He can be very much motivated. And I by guess six I was, especially. Yeah. I guess I was just surprised. You know, it's one of those things, and, and Ty brings it up, you know, uh, multiple times, you know, of like, we've always been at risk to being attacked. And I think, yeah, I think that's one of Adama's points later on to the president, you know, when she's arguing how we can't be left in this position with our you know, vipers so occupied with this search. You know, we're, you know, we're vulnerable to an attack. And he's like, we're always vulnerable to an attack. They could always attack us anytime. And that's the part to me where I'm like, why, guys, are you really that easy to get all riled up and scared about the idea of all oh, the Scions are going to come and attack? I'm like, you're kind of, that's kind of always looming. It could always happen again. You know, we never know when they might launch a surprise attack. But right. I think, I, I guess the possible, you know, the, because of the circumstances and the attack, a little more foreseeable and therefore, you know, on your horizon and you can have that feeling of doom that it just made it easier for six to press that point. I guess. Yeah. I think the difference is just in purely military logistics. Now I think Gaius is smart. He might not get the exact military logistics here, but Ty certainly does. Mm -hmm. And he understands like, we cannot spread this fleet out. If they attack, how are we going to get people back on board? How are we going to get people's FTL spooled up? You got civilians searching. I mean, it's a fucking clusterfuck out here. It's a mess of ships all bumbling around, not in formation, not tight. They have no Viper protection. Gaius might not get those details. He might get some of them. He might get the overall, okay, the people, the, the ships that defend us are searching. So if we get attacked, what does that mean? I mean, that's a logical conclusion most reasonable humans can make. Now, the yeah. next thing you, could, you have to remember is this, and I know it's easy to forget because it's very distracting when, guy, when, um, when Six starts to kiss the tip of his index fingers, <laughs> but she reveals to him. That is, the, that is perfect distraction, by the way. When she says, consider how many days it will take, and then she says one, kiss, two, kiss, three at the most. So as we've seen her do in the past, it's like she's revealing intelligence that she has that nobody else does. Yes. So now that Gaius knows that three days at the most and that these people might not, here you go, you have this guy cursed with this foreknowledge of stuff that he can't really reveal without being suspicious. Mm-hmm. So this could be part of what's playing into his decision. Like, okay, it's three days at the most, holy shit. She has 46 hours of, of air. That's almost the time. I mean, that's two days, like, holy shit. Are they going to stay? What if they even just stayed one day longer? Now we're screwed. So I could see the wheels have to turn if he believes she's being totally honest with him at this point. And she has been pretty honest when she reveals intel to where now he is sure. motivated to act. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And, um, but, you know, in this conversation, I love his defiance with her at first. Yeah. We're still here, he says. He gets defiant with her. And then she's like, that's cute. How many days do you think? right how many days do you think and that's when she reveals three it seems like a truth reveal and he takes it as such whether or not we think it is i believe gaius thinks that three days is the cutoff and they're dead yeah yeah that is it like they will you know and and that's what she's saying and that's three days tops Tops. they could show up maybe they're actually uh, just kidding we were only about a day away i was just saying at the very latest so you take a guy like Baltar, 46 hours of air. He knows that because the president knows that, right? If I'm not mistaken. Regardless, yes. 46 hours of air. I mean, three days max. We're, we're real, this is real dangerous material we're, we're, we're playing with here. That is it. So anyway, guys cautions the president, and then uh, we move over to Apollo's search. Uh, this is a quick look in on how bad the conditions are. You've got these Vipers, which are designed for space operations, going into the atmosphere, almost splatting against a mountain from poor visibility because the instruments are junk. 
not to mention the windshield is all gummed up, the cockpit's all gummed up, yeah. and he can't see anything. And lots he almost of, crashes. Lots of fog and smog and just bad shit in the atmosphere on this planet. So this the moon. So the storyteller is saying it's bad. Okay, <laughs> I, I, it's I know shitty. it's shitty. Yeah. I know the numbers are bad, but this is a visual representation for the viewer to go. It is pretty bad. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's not. You know, they can't. It's not just a matter of well, oh, we have to decide how many resources we can give up in order to search and, and take off of their you know patrols. It's that the search itself is costly, even. Yep. Should we take a break from the fleet and in, in, in blast through Cylon-occupied Caprica? I think we should. It's another the, – the, the side stories this time around are very quick when, really, you know, when you put them all together. Sure, but they do raise questions, don't they? Oh, they certainly do. So we open in on the disaster shelter, the fallout shelter. And we this see... is 15 days. It says that there. Yeah, this is yes. Hilo, his 15th day on Caprica, which again, I have to ask – does that mean it's been 15 days since the miniseries? I mean... That's it. Two weeks. It's been two fucking... It feels so much longer than that. Right. That's crazy. So much has happened. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> good point, though. Good good uh, continuity thought. I like it. So Hilo tries to calm some survivors. He's using that what appears to be a shortwave radio. Uh, Sharon wakes up all languid and sexy and sleepy. <laughs> Just a sleepy, <laughs> sexy lady in a hammock. Yep. And, uh, oh, oh, hello. Some uh, breakfast. Some breakfast. <laughs> well, I got half a dessert. So Hilo tells Boomer <laughs> that this leg, is, that his leg is much better and that they have enough anti-rads for three months. And they got rations. So there's a lingering feeling like we could probably wait it out for a while. Yeah. And then but they say, not what they is there a reason to stay? And she asks him kind of saucily, unless you can think of a reason, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Mm. Unless you can think of another place to fuck. <laughs> so he Hilo tells her to rest. He's going to go topside and make breakfast. And, of course, he starts to make breakfast. <laughs> Making, of course, I, I noticed the cute little wink of irony here. Absolutely. In a, a toaster. A toaster is what gives them away. A toaster what gives them away. Big, shiny chrome toaster. But I like it. So things get hectic on, the, on Caprica. Very fast. Because the Centurion moves in. Uh, very quiet. Yeah. No, they, they break a little bit of glass to get in, but once they're in there, they're just kind of very quietly slooping around and scanning. And uh, and he notices really quickly, but you know, uh, realizes obviously too late that the toaster is going to alert them anyways. But then, and of course, perfect timing, Caprica Boomer walks out asking, is breakfast ready? Right. And that's when the engagement actually starts. And it does not go well. He takes one down, but when they cut loose and they get a second... They just turn that whole place to Swiss cheese. He's lucky he wasn't killed. Oh, big time. Yeah. Is it luck? I don't know. I also so, do. I love the way that when he, he plugs that one Cylon, you know, it hits it in the back a couple times. The other one just pushes it right out of the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and comes marching in. They do not give a fuck. And then, of course, later he comes to and realizes that Sharon's missing. What? And it's been, it's nighttime when he comes to. I mean, he's been out for it for hours. Movie KO, movie KO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, movie KO. My least favorite thing in the world is movie KOs. <laughs> he was in a coma for hours and then he came to. And he was just fine. Oh, my head hurts. So, uh, yeah, he comes to and she is gone. He steps into the streets, desperately searching for her. And yeah. that is it. And that's it. What a weird 
place to leave us. I have never been more confused now mm. and wondering about what the hell the Cylons on Caprica want with Hilo. Like, I don't get their goal at all. Like, I, that when they discovered the um, this Fallout shelter and, you know, they're there together and everything, I thought, okay, maybe this is the setting where this boomer is going to try and get information out of him or, sure. or something that this is going to be a, a – they just wanted to get him to a safe place to keep him alive and then use him for something. But instead they launch what a, a false flag operation of an attack and take their own operative back out and just leave him. I don't know. I but don't know. I, I'm looking forward to your speculations though because I think one of the things you've said in prior episodes is that you believe Caprica Boomer is complicit in whatever thing is going down. Oh, for sure. That she is aware she is a Cylon and is actively participating. Yeah. So do you think after the gunfire, she bolted out of there and took off with her Centurion friends? Do you think she was captured and they 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 staged a capture and she's complicit in that? What, I, what do you think? I heavily lean towards they staged a capture and she is complicit in it. And maybe she has... And you know, this is something I... <laughs> I said in a prior episode, even though I kind of debunked it as I was saying it, um, about how maybe they're going to try and use, I don't know, DNA from him or material from Hilo in order to make another new type of Cylon model that they can model after him. But then the problem with that is how do you ever insert that into the fleet because they know for a fact he was stuck on Caprica. So, But, I mean, that's one of those things where I'm like, that's some, that is a reasonable goal. You could get some blood from him in his sleep or do whatever they need to do in order to do that, you know, by using her as an operative that who gets close to him. So, but I, but that doesn't really, like I said, doesn't make sense at the end of the day. So I can't figure out my main thing is I just can't figure out what they want with him. They're keeping him alive. They could have killed him. You know, I can't imagine a, a Cylon Centurion having mercy. You know, why wouldn't it go over there and just end him and then capture Boomer mm. or kill her too? You know, it, it's too, easy you know there there's this something going on but i have i my like i said i just absolutely cannot figure out the mystery of why they're keeping him alive which they are most certainly doing absolutely you know it's funny i'm thinking about your plan and how you might execute it and you would think boy it would be pretty smart to have a doctor as a cylon like a medical doctor if you want access true. to human dna especially on a fleet hmm Oh. Does that make Doc Cottle suspicious for you? Maybe. You know, that is an interesting one. Well, let's carry on. All right. So Lee, uh, Lee's search continues. He reports bingo fuel. And uh, bingo fuel means that you have reached a point of fuel where if you leave now, you will get back to where you came from. Yeah. And if you go past bingo fuel, it means that you do not have enough fuel to return home. So bingo fuel oh. is that precious moment where you just have enough to get back. Where you are you're... able to coast on fumes into the Exxon parking lot. There you go. So we learn no tanker refuel because the tankers are refilling. So, I mean, we're getting a sense, okay, the tankers that refuel the Vipers are refueling, so they're yeah. blowing through fuel. Exactly. It is outrageous. So we're going to talk about some of that as we move into the command information, combat information center, the CIC, or combat for short. So combat. when they get back to combat, are these figures correct? And then Gator reminds Adam, uh, Adam and this is great. He says, in, in a nutshell, he says, atmospheric operations means the Raptors and Vipers have to run constantly. There's no coasting in an atmosphere. 
So fuel is consumed at a very fast rate as opposed to when you're doing space operations. And then Adama sort of ignores this very important advice, and he just says, what about the civilian ships? Entice, nothing to report. And then he does suggest that they put the civilian ships back into a defensive he being Thai, suggests we should put the civvy ships back in a defensive formation because we're spread out. It'll be impossible to protect should the Cylons show up, right? Yep. Thinking militarily, thinking about their vulnerabilities. No. I said no! Whew! This, this is fucking it. This is the loudest this is new. We, we, yeah, we have never seen this Adama. We have never seen him raise his voice like this. Never. This is a true first, and it, it's, it has the striking impact of a first. Yep, absolutely. It's outstanding. And then we get a bunch of cutaways, but when we come back, Lee enters the, Lee arrives from his mission. He gets over to combat. He debriefs Ty and Adama, and he says, shockingly, Lee says, let's pull the cap to aid in the search, the combat yeah. patrol. And Ty goes, what? <clears throat> I love how they, they are, you know, the commander and Lee are for the first time in total unison. They total. are, they, you know, we've seen them, you know, from the very beginning, butting heads, butting heads. They have, you know, this is my perspective as a father. This is my perspective as the son. You know, they have, the, they each have this military duty they uphold, but they, they see it in different ways. And, oh, he, you know, he chooses to be the, the president's person and he's forcing to pick sides. But we have never seen them more solidly on one side and they have picked this side and it's everybody else looking in from the outside going what the hell are you guys talking about this is getting reckless this is getting crazy and they just seem to be moving so fluidly together and this is a dynamic of this episode that i really appreciate and it's because of their relationship around starbuck in in the tragedy of what happened to zach and we know that they've been at odds about this before and you could almost argue that this whole fallout between Starbuck and Adama has now been really put to the test now that she's been pulled away. And that's the part of this that is interesting. Remember, last episode, Starbuck said, uh, Adama said, walk out of this cabin while you still can. Yeah. He was very hurt by her. Now, we know something. We know that people can only really hurt you if you feel deeply for them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Most people don't care about a stranger's opinion of them unless they're a neurotic psychopath, (laughs) right? They could give a shit. But when you have, that's why sometimes they say, you know, hate can be so close to love because that true feeling can really be ugly if that person turns on you. It can, it's, it's painful. There's a lot there. There's, there's feelings that matter. And that's what we're seeing playing out here. Adama might have some regret here at the way he said that to, oh, to Starbucks. 100%. And he might 100%. be overcompensating for that. Or that could be part of it. We know that he's very fond of Starbucks. You're like a daughter to me. He said it time and again. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's... we have this whole thing going on with Lee. So I think what we see in this episode, which is really fascinating, is, is that Adama is a principled man in a man of duty. However, family trumps all. Yes. He oh, says yes. it at the end, and you see it play out throughout the whole episode. Family. He thinks of Kara Thrace as his family, as his daughter, and as Lee as his son, and that's that. He will go to the ends of the world for these people. Yeah, and I love, ah, you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but yeah, it, it is revealed later on how much, you, you can very easily mistake 
uh, Commander Adama for somebody who is such a loyalist to his cause and his career and the military that he has been very distant towards his family and doesn't even, you know, he cares about them. He kind of has that same dutiful commitment to family of knowing it's the right thing to do. And that's, you know, it's what I should do, but I don't feel very much passion about it. It's just the right thing to do. But I think it's revealed firmly in this episode that no, he is motivated to act for the sake of his family. And he has a depth, a very, you know, huge depth of feeling for them. Yes. And he has a lot of belief here too. I mean, oddly enough, this risk pays off in the end, mm-hmm. which makes him hard to critique because if they didn't pay off, they'd all be dead. Right. So, <laughs> or at least a lot of them would have been decimated. So it is a, it's, it's hard to critique because the gamble pays off. And, and you hear this a lot. Nobody cares if you win, right? Oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You won, you won, you won, you won. And, um, <laughs> yeah. but I, I think that Ty is, is, is making good points here. I mean, oh, for sure. For Ty to, to for, for Lee to suggest something so ludicrous, given the face of what they're looking at here, given the fact that a base star jumps in and you have minutes and that's yeah. it. And you're going to pull the combat air patrol down into an atmosphere where they have shitty communications. You're gumming up the instrument panels. We learn later that one of the thrusters got clogged and then they have to respond out of the atmosphere into a battle. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible, yeah. tactically speaking. And oh, yeah. Ty reminds him that the cap is the fleet's only defense. And Lee has the balls, <laughs> the <laughs> fucking <laughs> balls yeah. to say to Ty, oh, nothing would make you happier, right? He really gets on my nerves here. And <laughs> Ty does not stand for this. You're way out of line. And yeah. he says, I'm not the one making this personal. Mic drop. Yep. I'm not the one confusing my personal feelings. That's right. And he is. And And he fucking is. That's Ty does not would would not sacrifice Kara because he doesn't like her. He's not that kind of guy. And that's and I think we have already seen enough of Ty coming around toward toward Kara. He's never. I think even at his times, I think if you, you know, if you, if you made this a, a big brother style show and everybody had a little confession booth where you could talk to him one on one and we heard Ty's real feelings about Starbuck, I think it would, he would probably say something to the extent of, yeah, I personally, you know, can't stand her. I don't want to be a friend with her. I don't want to hang out and watch movies with her. But as a pilot and as an officer, I would still recommend her for, you know, promotion. I think sure. she's competent and strong and good. And he has nothing he against her in that He doesn't sense. want her to die. He doesn't want to lose her. He knows yeah, he she's valuable. Yeah, and that's the most underhanded part of this whole scene. And you, of course, he's, you know, Lee is just stressed and, yeah, of and course. worried. Of course. But at the same time, there's that notion that you're taking time for somebody who, in the back of his mind, would be like, hey, I can push him off so that I can feel better and just kill this person so, right. that, I, so that my path is clearer. Like, that's a very low Machiavellian, you know, assertion to throw onto somebody. And, right. And it, think, you're questioning his integrity yeah, as a, yeah, as as a human being. Right. And as a human being, for sure. And, you know, we have to think about this because if we take this, we've seen this happen before. In the miniseries, Ty was forced to make a difficult decision that led to the death of many deckhands. Yeah. But and save the ship. And save the ship, supposedly. We don't know. Again, you never know 100%, and that's what makes no. it so interesting. It yeah. was moments away from catching fire. Could those moments, could the chief have done something? I don't know. But that, is that a gamble you're willing to take? And what did Adama do? He stood by Ty's decision that time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not this time. And that's no. what I like about the show. They're flawed people. 
Yeah. We've seen all of their flaws, except maybe we haven't seen much of a flaw from Adama. And I would argue that this is a flaw to jeopardize everyone for one pilot. And I love me some Starbuck. I'm about to say, I'm totally glad you said that. And it's inconsistent. It's inconsistent because you were okay with him offing 70 damage control techs to save the port hangar bay from going up in flames, right? Yeah, there you go. Mm. And he, it and, is. He, and he told the chief point blank. He, he made a tough decision. I support him. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not hard. It's, it's hard to make those decisions. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. He but everybody get the fuck out of my way, my girl. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, yes. and, and that's it. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that because, you know, that was, uh, and I don't, I don't see it as a detraction for the episode, but um, this is the first time where I'm like, you know, I love I both love watching how intense the the personal relationships, you know, we really get to see how much, wow, he really ca- does care about Starbuck and, and Lee and both, all three of them have this really, you know, profound bond and that's impressive and cool and interesting. But at the same time, you're going, but you're misstepping because of this. Like you're yes. making mistakes. These, these, you know, this is, it's not just like, wow, look at how much he cares for her. That's awesome. What a hero. It's like, I admire that you care about her so much that you're willing to risk this, but you're not risking just your own life. Like, sure. you know, Ty is the best foil for all that in this episode of bringing up the, the you know, he has an eye for just the starkness of reality. And it's like, okay, guys, like, you, I know we all want to save her, but this is, here's the math that we have to constantly do. You know, the Battlestar Galactica math of how many people are we going to put at risk for this. And, and, and Ty understands the the tactical situation at hand he understands it maybe guys doesn't maybe even the president doesn't until somebody explains it to her but ty certainly does he knows where the ships are he knows where they're located he knows uh, the readiness report of the galactica he knows how long it takes his fighters to get going and now he sees well now you get civilians all over the place searching you got the cap getting pulled you got ships lowing on fuel mm-hmm. he sees the tactical train wreck that is ahead of him. Unfolding. <laughs> right, unfolding. Ugh, so it continues. Yeah. Back on the deck of the ship, Lee's working on his Viper, which I like. So he's actually doing some work on his Viper. I like that. That's how desperate he is to get going. He's doing some physical work. Yeah, and I'm sure no, he does sometimes, that. but he's, he just got done with the patrol. Yeah. So he gets a call from the president, doesn't he? He does indeed. She oh, assumes that Adama it's... redeployed the cap. Oh, no, no, no. That was me. Uh-huh. And again, I love, I love the way in which Rosalind questions people. Like she is so perceptive, and she just goes, "Oh, you ordered it, so you're very close to Starbuck, aren't yes. you?" Like immediately, like cuts through the bullshit of like, "Okay, so that's what this is about." Mm. <laughs> like, yes, not even dancing around it at all. It was nice to see this relationship challenged. Yes, that's right? for sure. The president asks about the defenseless, defenseless nature of the fleet. She asks about the relationship, which you already mentioned. And uh, he's like, I have a close relationship with all my pilots. Right? Of course, the answer, the diplomatic answer. Oh, of course. And he, same, he, he speaks the same for Adama, she says. And Adama, too. And he's like, yeah, he cares about all his pilots as well. And then her very curt <laughs> response to that is, I hope you find her. Right. Yeah, you know, she she realizes not to press it right there. Yes, and in this moment with him, because, this is know, grace. And, this is grace and experience by her. Smart, oh, well, yes. well played by her. She's ah, so good, so good. Back in combat, Gata tells Adama that the search party is reporting bingo fuel. This is a great scene too. I like I like Gata a lot. Adama says, "Send the tanker. We'll refuel them." Big long silence. 
<laughs> Is there a problem, Mr. Gaeta? Uh, trying to tank in the turbulence, sir, will, will, will be extremely hairy. And, uh, you, you know, and that's when he realizes that Gaeta already dispatched the, the, them to, to clear the Atmo to go get tanked. So he's pissed. <sighs> yes. <laughs> he's pissed that Gaeta made a decision that any competent watch, offer, watch officer would make. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, he's not seeing the situation through the, you know, the same filter that Adam is seeing it at. At this point, this is this is Adama. I, like yes. I, I agree with your assessment that this is him faltering for the first time that we're seeing. Right, but you know, in his faltering, I admire his drive. Oh yeah, his dedication to it. His drive is impressive, but it is it is a bit misplaced. You thought Definitely. it would be what, Mister Gay? It'd be hopeless. Hopeless. I can't talk tonight. <laughs> we would write Starbuck off as dead. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Mister Gaeta? <laughs> and poor Gay doesn't know what to say. He's getting challenged by the old man. And then yeah. he says, you have your orders. Oof. And, and here's where away. things get wacky. Burp, 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 burp. Uh, air alarm, Starbucks out of air. Oof, there it is. And so Ty is, says, all right. She's out of that. O2. <laughs> all right, then. Well, our you're, timer, the egg timer has gone off. You're, you're yeah. telling me what? And Ty's like, you're telling me she packed, she just happened to pack an extra O2 can this day. It's possible. Yeah. And they go back and forth with this. Oof. We're not quitting. You are relieved. Boom. Oh, what? Could not believe it. I mean, what? I mean, for one, I was very happy that my trivia question was the correct answer. But, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, it's such a quiet and the way that they even exchange those lines, you know, he's just saying, well, that's, you know, that's the way it is. And you are relieved. It just says it so quietly as matter of factly. Oof. And Ty doesn't even, Ty's face doesn't even change. He's just like, all right, salutes him, walks off the bridge. That's done. it. He said, I stand relieved. I will be that's in my, it. I'll be in my, my quarters. Getting tanked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go through a couple of fingers tonight. And so, um, <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, then the president contacts Adama, and she goes on the hard sell that Starbuck is dead. She opens with the assuming the sale, right? <laughs> I just went off my condolences. I'm so yeah, sorry. Absolutely. It was so good to see you guys at the dealership the other day, so when do we want to go ahead and start the paperwork? Yeah, which color do you prefer, black or white? <laughs> <laughs> assuming the sale, man. It's 100% it, too. And, uh, and then Adama's like, well, we aren't sure she's dead. The O2 is just a guess. And then he just says to her, as she tries to fight back, this is a military decision. Click. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> He doesn't. That's <laughs> pretty gangster. He, he doesn't wait for so much as a, a uh, wait, huh? Not, boop. Not going to give you a word. It's done. And then later, because we know we, ha- we cut away and come back to this, and then some time passes, and then Duwal is like, uh, something about receiving the present? He's like, I wasn't given advance notice. None was given, sir. None was so given. mom's <laughs> home and she's pissed. Although she did just send a text message saying, well, you gave me no advance about that hang up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we get a look at Rosalind and Ty in the hallway walking together. He says it may take an order because of the relationship they both have with Zach. Yeah, so yeah he, it's complicated. It'd take you three weeks to explain yep, it. <laughs> yep, and then Adama and Lee meet with her, and I like how they rally. They huddle up. I'm yeah. with you on this, Daddy. I'm with you, Dad. <laughs> Me and you, Pops. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's like, wow, we're seeing them arm in arm for the first time. They're actually so united. If we just lock arms, Dad, if we just, if we just, 
handcuff ourselves to these Jersey barriers, then we will get rights for people. <laughs> the new single by <laughs> Leah Dama, I Can Do Anything With My Daddy. <laughs> so uh, Adama reminds her that terminating a search is a military decision. And she's like, crap, this is not military, it's personal. And she goes yeah. right for the throat. She's ruthless, oh, ruthless, yeah. brings up it, Zach. Absolutely. Again, this is another one of those times where I I just really love about her character how incisive she is and how she cuts straight through the nonsense. And Adama is the same way, yes. much the same way in yes. very many scenes. And that's why I think he responds to her as well as he does. You know, it's so funny. In their conversations and his reactions, what he actually says back to her, he sounds, you know, like he's, you know, still being reluctant. But he always, you can tell he really thinks about what she says and really considers it, knows that she's smart and and realizes, you know, yeah, she's got a point. Um, but yeah, a wonderful scene, a wonderful scene. It's a great, scene. great a performances great scene. all around. I like when Lee's like, you don't know anything about it, and she just cuts him off. She's like, knock it off. Stop. And the way, the way in which I love, just even, like I'm watching it again as we speak, you know, the blocking of it, you know, literally uh, Adama and, you know, Lee standing side by side looking at them and then Ty and the president on the other side of the room. Yep. I love the way in which she includes Ty and she goes, Ty, how much of the reserve fuel is gone? Ah, oh, brutal. Because you know, oh, <laughs> and right he's before that, really- one of the things she says that I like is she says, you're putting your pilots and everyone else at risk every second we stay here. And I think that's an important way to say it. When you say you're putting everyone at risk here, that can be such a nebulous thing. Starbuck is a person. Starbuck has a personality. We know who she is. Mm-hmm. We know what she likes, what she doesn't like. We know about her personality. The, the individual is personal. It matters. When you say everyone, it's nebulous. But when yeah. she says your pilots, in other words, all the other ones besides her. All the other personalities You're you know. risking, yeah. not just all the people. You're putting your pilots in everyone else. And that's when Rosalind pulls Ty into the argument. Like you said, 43% reserve fuel used. One third of the fighters are out of service. I mean, unacceptable numbers. Yeah, and that is that is the literal word she says. She goes, this is unacceptable. We can't have this. And it, it's, it's kind of one of those times where there just needed to be somebody. You know, and that's what Ty – Ty is good at pointing out the problems and the facts – but Rosalind is good at framing them into an overall, yeah, here's all the facts, and then this is what these facts collectively say. And what they say is this is an untenable situation that cannot continue. We can't right. let this keep going. Right. Yeah, she, she is good she at She is a that. rapier that has the ability to go for a pommel smash in your face if she really needs to. But otherwise, she's pretty <laughs> sleek and slick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of grace. Ty is a, is a warhammer. <laughs> he just says, you're putting the, you're, you're endangering everyone. This is dumb. Stop. He doesn't have the grace that she does, the, the, the presence of mind mm-hmm. to frame this in a way that these guys will understand. Ty's not like that. He's not a framer. He yeah, says exactly. it how it is to everybody all the time to a fault. And that's just his character personality. And that's what I like what we see here between Ty and Rosalind, this different personalities, different approach. In Adama, and I like this because I think Edward James almost is great here. He says, he reminds her, this is a military matter. But you can hear the confidence like the air out of a tire. Oh, yeah. You can hear the confidence <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. rapidly hissing away into the nothingness. Mm-hmm. Because Fine. you cannot, you cannot 
you know, the only rebuttal he's got to what she has already said is the same shit he's already said. Right. Well, it's a military operation. We've already decided. It's like, <laughs> okay, right, right. Uh, right. Yeah, you're right. right. Do you have it's- any logic that you want to say? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, do you have any, uh, you know, do you have it? Is there anything underneath this argument actually supporting it? Or are you just going to repeat the argument? Fine. You're both perfectly aware that you're risking 45,000 lives for personal feelings. If you two are okay with that, then the human race doesn't stand a chance. Boom. Drop the fucking mic. She right walks off the stage. out. They share a look that's excellent. Adama and yeah. uh, Lee. They, oh, they know they, she's they, right. They, they don't did. even say anything. No. That's what's so perfect. Excellent, right? They each got thoroughly paddled by the principal in the same office, and they know it. <laughs> they don't got to talk about it. And this shows control and awareness of the script and the story. Somebody oh, else yeah. puts a stupid line in here, and they discuss it. No. They share a look, and it says everything. Lee picks up the, 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 the phone, calls the CIC, hands it to Pops, terminate search operations. That's it. She's not even That's halfway it. down the hall yet. No. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's such a great scene. Such a great scene. So the two men, Adama and Lee, head back towards the CIC. And Lee says, I think we've come to terms with what happened to Zach. And Adama's like, I haven't. I love this honesty here. Right. And Lee it's says, so- why, why did we do this for Kara or Zach? And, and he says, Kara was family. Sometimes you break the rules. And if it was me down there instead, and if it were you, we'd never leave. That is it. Which still, that that's an admittance on his part that you, you know, I call her family, but she is not true blood family to me, you know, you know, and I, I think that's a big, you know, I think Adama, I mean, uh, you know, Lee Adama, it was genuinely unsure of what his father's answer in that moment was going to be, you know, you know, from maybe expecting, well, I would, I do the same thing I do right now, I, you know, just, but he actually does take the step further of distinguishing it and being like, no, if this were you, I wouldn't have made the call to terminate. We would still be, we will, we, <laughs> it is, it would be a different situation than even how desperate this one is. A great growth point for these characters that have been at odds with each other for most of the episode, for most of the series, yeah. especially when when Lee took the president side essentially as an aide, and uh, as far as Adamo is concerned, even though Lee didn't see it that way, he he you know he said we're picking sides now. No, but Adamo saw it that way. In this moment, I I think Lee really feels the love in 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 the just the the. the emotion that his dad has for him and it make and it touches him and they're both teary eyed and I like that. I think this is a great growth point for these two characters. Oh yeah. This search operation has done a lot. It has brought all three of them closer together and it's aired out some of the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's made it a little more stark. You can't hide it behind a bunch of formalities and stuffiness, you know. <laughs> it's been it's been put out pretty raw. And then Adama does what any smart commander is going to do. He reinstates the colonel. Colonel, resume your duties. Mm-hmm. And you know what I like about Ty? Not doesn't, one hard feeling. That's right. Zero hard feelings. No bitching, no whining, Nothing. no, well, huh, should I come back to do, you know, like no bullshit. There's no bullshit. He's just like, all right. Start the clock. Go. Boom. <laughs> that's it. He gets right to work. Ah, I love it. And then they start to execute jump prep and then they get the greatest contact. And that's when they sound action stations. Lee launches hot dogs force to abort. Uh, that's a little contrivance, but whatever. 
<laughs> and then um, they're all confused about the lone Cylon. Lee engages the writer, and he's trying to shoot it down, and he can't. Yeah, this bastard's love, good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's he's like, I, what is going on here? And then, of course, she manages to give him the slip. I mean, disappears off yeah. Dratus, gets Gone. so close to him that the Galactica loses the signal. Yeah, they, they even say that the, their signals have merged. We don't understand right. it, and it's because they're right on top of one another. And then, and then, of course, we see this inverted dive, and then we see Starbuck painted on the wings, and he that, freaks, and it's great. Uh, that that reveal literally made me fucking cheer. I was like, "Fuck yes!" Like, ah, cool, oh, right? that's so great. Flip because I mean, I remember the whole prep time of her trying to get off the planet and you know i was like her radio's already broken how the fuck is she not just going to get shot out of the sky by them like how can you possibly indicate you know that you are on their side it didn't even cross my mind that maybe you could just straight up paint your name on the damn thing (laughs) oh it's so good it's right under the fracking wings he's freaking out (laughs) adama goes what yeah and then I love, I love that he even goes further and goes, well, if it does, you know, follow him, you know, follow her into the bay, you know, get her on the ship. But if it does anything, you know, shoot it down. Yeah, but take you know, it he's out. saying, no, it's, you know, Lee gets back on the radio. No, it's her. It's definitely her. And he just cannot help but smile. And I love when Lee says, it's definitely her. It's flying with serious attitude. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Ah, oh, it's so good. Again, it's the, this payoff makes any of the strange really you're gonna stuff a coat in that I hole concur. Or, what the, oh you're gonna, well you figured out which weird alien arteries to squeeze in order to fly this like the most nimble pilot in, uh, in the galaxy come on it makes it all worth it i don't give a shit about any of the silliness after this badass reveal it's wonderful it's wonderful did you know it was her when they got the dreadest contact oh yeah yeah, I was going, oh, that's got to be her. That's got to right. be her. You know, and there, once we hear that, you know, it's a lone Cylon, one Raider, that's strange, you know. I was like, fuck, yes, it's her. Yeah, I love how he can't hit her. She, he, he'll never live that down, right? <laughs> so back on the deck, she's like, like my new toy. She's all banged up. She says, you smell. And she says, do you want to give me a bath? <laughs> yeah, I remember I did kind of raise my eyebrows. I was like, was that a, it was a joke and all, but. It's a little mm. bit of a come on there. Mm. <laughs> and then later in the infir- infirmary, we have a, another great scene. This, oh my God. A this great like, heartstring scene. Oh my God. Yeah, I, yeah I'm like <laughs> fighting tears the first time I'm watching the damn yep. thing. How oh, do you feel? So Been a hell of a lot worse. The doctor tricks him up with some really nice stuff. Carrie, you did good. And when he, his power over her. <sighs> yeah. When he yeah. just leans down and kisses her on the head, she starts crying. She can't help herself. Yeah. She's so vulnerable with him. And so, nobody else. Nobody. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes her character so especially interesting because right. she is, in so many ways, the archetypal, you know, unflappable, unyielding yes. warrior who's always cocky. Oh, you know, the, the only other emotion we see them have other than cocky joy at a victory is, oh, I'm angry. I didn't do as right. good as I want. You know, but with her, she does have, and I like that it's only reserved for him, that she's not just willy-nilly getting wrapped up in everyone, but we see that she, yeah, she is capable of this massive, you know, vulnerability and, and, and compassion that we only get through the prism of, you know, Commander Adama. And you know what? Her reaction to his affection legitimizes everything we just saw in the episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The way she responds to him, we know how he feels about her. Oh, yeah. Right? It's obvious because 
we see that we, the way she reacts to it. We can see what happens, but the way she reacts to him is it's great. I love that. Yeah. No, there's there's so much there. And it, we haven't gotten into the only background we've gotten into with her and him is very much revolving, of course, and it makes sense narratively about Zach. And that's their bond. Mm-hmm. That's what has bonded them, you know, as people, and that's you know their platform for getting to know one another and and you know grow from that point. But I have the very strong feeling that if you go further back into uh, Kara Thrace's you know childhood and mm-hmm. upbringing, that there wasn't a papa around, maybe not even a mama, no mama, no papa for no our poor no our, <laughs> for our poor sweet orphan, a baby in Italy. But uh, but no, that that there every was day pro- I go to the market and I get the bread. And I wish for the papa. And I say a couple of novenas to the Holy Virgin Mary. <laughs> Turns out she's Sicilian and has been hiding it really well. Um, but but no, that you know that he is he is such an ultimate father figure to her that it makes me think that she's never had this before. That that's part of why she's so vulnerable to him. It's not that oh I see you as my own dad in a lot of ways, just like my my real dad. Like no, she never had a real dad, or she never had at least a good dad. You know, there, there's he never something... had a daughter. He's he's called her the daughter I never had. Yeah, and that's that. That is mm-hmm. that. And it, uh, it's so. Good. So good. Strong episode. Strong beginning, strong strong ending. Very strong. Gives her a stogie. My last (laughs) one. It's great. And Ah, uh, boom, we we cut away with uh, what appears to be some reconciliation between these three. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Finally. Which means we'll have to throw some new wrinkles into their lives to fuck them up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And turns out Commander Adama's a Cylon. Next episode, everybody. Awesome. Holy shit. All right, it's that time, my friend. Oh, boy. Time to get to trivia. That's my stinger. I made it in my mouth. Damn. That was good. How much you had to pay for that stinger? That's another one. I just made that one in my mouth. Oh, you guys you. can use those. That's uh, yeah. that's open source. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got some questions for you. Let me look them over for a minute. Okay. I am You're going like, oh, to... Oh, shit. I just realized all these are actually uh, questions about the next episode of Three's Company. I... <laughs> in what episode does John Ritter's balls <laughs> fall out of his suspiciously tight and high, high shorts? <laughs> That is it. All right, trivia questions. I'm going to play this a little bit differently. It's going to be a. It's going to be a yes or a no question. Ooh, okay. And are you ready for it? I'm ready. I'm, I love that you're switching up the formats. I, yeah, I, like I try. It. I try to keep you on the toes. Keep it fun. Absolutely. So I'm going to read to you some dialogue. Oh fuck yeah! Right. Some dialogue that's going to happen next week is the following, and I'm going to give you four different pieces of dialogue. Dialogue piece number one. You people are the sorriest of the sorry, the dumbest of the dumb. The only thing you're making out of this is a trip to the sick bay or the morgue. Mm. Number two, I exercise my right under Article 23. Number three, I think that he is doing this out of a sense of misplaced loyalty to me. Number four, I put everything on the line for you. These pieces of dialogue, do you want me to read them one more time? All right, one more time. You people are the sorriest of the sorry, the dumbest of the dumb. The only thing you're making out of this is a trip to the sick bay or the morgue. Boy, that is a line from Ty if I've ever fucking heard one. Two, I exercise my right under Article 23. Three, I think that he is doing this out of a sense of misplaced loyalty to me. Four, I put everything on the line for you. All right. 
Okay. True or false, these are all spoken by one character. Ooh, boy. <laughs> and is that the only question? Nope. I'm gonna I got I got two more for you. Okay. False. False. They're not spoken by all of one character. Okay. No. Is it false? So do you want to try to guess who says them? Ooh, yes. <laughs> That's I do. All right. I'm gonna make this really hard on you. Oh fuck. <laughs> I'm going to give you the same three people for every piece of dialogue. Wait, what? What do you mean? I'm gonna, in other words, I'm going to tell you that there's three, three people are going to be the answer. The, not the answer, but, the, but they're going to be the only picks, every one of them. Oh, it's between three people. All of those. All, all of, of them and all the same three people. So okay. you people are the sorriest of the sorry, the dumbest of the dumb. The only thing that you're making out of this is a trip to the sick bay or the morgue. Chief, Ty, or Gaius. I exercise my right under Article 23, Chief Tyre Gaius. Chief. I think that he is doing this out of a sense of misplaced loyalty to me, Chief Tyre Gaius. That's the hardest one. Um, Damn. Uh, It's not Ty, because Ty would miss... (laughs) I don't think anybody's mistaking too much loyalty for Ty. (laughs) Exo's not doing his job, and everybody doesn't hate him. Um, Shit. Gaius. I put everything on the line for you, Chief Ty Gaius. Ooh, that sounds like Chief. A Chief Boomer situation to me. Boosh. There we go. Boom. All right. Done deal. Done we will know deal. the answers in a week. Well, you'll know as soon as you watch the EP, which will probably be the day we record, but yes, um, I expect a text from you. <laughs> Either gloating in my face or cursing my name. <laughs> <laughs> the only kinds of texts I send. <laughs> well, the occasional dick pic, but you know. <laughs> Uh, all right. Final thoughts on You Can't Go Home Again. I really enjoy it. It is bounce back, a, right? It's definite bounce back. It is a step up from the previous episode. And like I've said, I said already, the last episode wasn't a bad one. It wasn't some terrible episode. I just thought it had a very shitty beginning, and the rest of it got better progressively, but it you know, evened out to a pretty decent episode. I think this is definitely a better one. Um, it got me real thirsty, again, for more Starbuck and more Gaius. Mm. You know, for the past two, three episodes now, we've only gotten a you know little dip in uh, look at Gaius and, and Six, and that's it. We're right back gone. I am ready for a, a you know, as much as I'm really enjoying uh, the dynamics of watching Adama and Rosalind have to compromise and find a way to, you know, address a situation with that each of them can stomach. Uh, and Lee often having to step into some kind of mediation role between them. And that was kind of reversed here where Lee picked a side and stood with his father. I enjoyed that. And I enjoy all of those, you know, those three way, you know, authority figure dynamics. But I am ready for a almost like I've been saying a singular episode that is very much Adama and Lee and Rosalind fade to the background. Maybe we only see them for a second or two and it's an all Starbucks show or an all Gaius episode. Like that's what I'm ready for. Ah. I just so want to see that next, but this was a very fun look um, at Starbucks on her own. And that's why I'm saying again, I'm like, Oh, give me more. Give me the Starbucks show. (laughs) Right. Right. It was great. And I, and I mean, she's such a, resolute fucking just hard as nails character ready to survive uh it made this show is increasingly getting better in my eyes as far as 
making the payoffs worth it. Like, that's what I was saying. You know, the, as much as the last episode had a weak beginning, its ending was still pretty damn strong. Had a yes. great, had a very a solid cliffhanger. It led to a really great point, uh, place. And this one built to a really great place. And we got to see our characters again in situations I was not expecting to see. I, I couldn't predict any of, of, Adama's missteps. I would mm-hmm. have never thought that that was going to come. I would have thought that maybe, yeah, he's going to be more emotional, obviously, because it's a strain. But I was like, wow, we're really, ste- we're really seeing him come not unhinged, but the closest he's even stepped toward that direction. Sure. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, man, strong, strong fucking episode. It's good stuff. It's a great episode. I like it a lot. I like the fact that we get to see the cracks in Adama's armor. Because, sure. like you said, he's been such a such a solid rock of quiet yeah. and cool confidence for a fleet that desperately needs it. And we see that you can push his buttons, too. He's a human, too. And that's what I like about that. I think that that is just good storytelling. And mm-hmm. we have a situation between three characters that is interesting, was nice. And you know what? It is time to wrap it up. We can't lament about a character we don't know about because we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> we I mean, care a little. We care a little by the way our, our characters respond to it. That's yeah. what we care about. We, we, are, we have sympathy for our characters and empathy for our characters. And as far as the viewer is concerned, Zach was just a sweaty, half-naked dude in a bed. That's as most as we've seen of him. Right. I wish I could have seen more, girl. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> ooh, yeah, ooh. you know, it's, um, it's, it's nice to move past it and to see what's next. Yeah. What's next? Um. Question. You mentioned that you are interested in learning about Gaius. Is that because of my reaction to him, or is there something specific about him that you want? It, what, what is your interest in learning more about him? Well, if I'm 100% honest, it's not all to do with Gaius. I, I am very interested in him for his position of receiving knowledge from Six. Like, gotcha. he's the only, only human being that we know of. Uh, at least uh, that we're aware of, who has this connection to the Cylons and is being actively in conversation with one, um, and that is super interesting. The fact that he's you know a brilliant you know genius and is heavily relied on by this new you know fledgling government, and is basically compromised in the sense of you know he has a fucking Cylon devil on his shoulder all the time. Make and also we didn't even we went right over that that part of the scene where he's getting his fingers kissed and he's literally just holding his hand up and looking at it and the president's like hey are you you fucking all right and he like oh pretends I'm I'm just stretching my wrist like that's one of those things that I have not gotten to see too much yet in this episode uh, I mean in this show of where he is like looking at six and I'm like if you take her out of the scene her physically what's everybody else looking at him standing there like looking off to the right or like putting his hand up and it's like he would look weird all the time i love that they finally addressed that yeah it's funny it's that was really funny but um but yeah so that's that's what i'm interested in with him is his you know that that the most interesting thing about the caprica boomer and Hilo, and about gaius to me is their connections to the cylons and obviously they are in the cylons eyes important parts of their i guess ongoing plan or conspiracy uh, and so I'm always like, and, and Gaius is an interesting character. I mean, he, you know, like I said, he's brilliant. Uh, he's good at navigating this, but you can tell it's really, you know, wearing him down. But, uh, but the fact that he must be so important to the silence. And I, like I've, I've said before, I'm so wanting to unravel that mystery. <laughs> I love that stuff. So awesome. that's, that's a big part of why I want to keep seeing more of him. 
there's plenty of mystery coming, my friend. Plenty of uh, intrigue and interesting things on the horizon. Uh, I uh, I hope that you are ready for it. And uh, I think that is all we have to say this week, right? I believe so. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in once again. We will see you out there. <laughs> <laughs>